0: No, no, it really feels weird when you get used to that, when you like do exercise on a regular basis and then you cannot, you're like, what the hell, yo? I think my kettlebells are like trying to talk to me, but I'm I'm trying to <laughs> ignore them.
1: Um, I, th- I think that might have other problems which you're talking about. <laughs> uh, actually, we could, uh, I have a good intro topic, which is this 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 Terraform JitHub automation concept. Whoever thought that was a f***ing good idea? It's terrible.
2: Okay, so this 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 episode is going to be just Warner ranting then. Okay, I'm fine. I'm absolutely (laughs) cool with that. (laughs) Okay, so uh, hold on. Let 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 me let me do an intro and then we can actually talk about the stupid (laughs) thing. So. Welcome to the Critical Channel, a show about engineering leadership, organizational culture, software architecture, and several other very easy problems. This week, Maxime and I are joined by Warner Bukhoi to talk about code reviews. Yay! Yay. Hi, Warner. Hi, Kerry. And I believe you were going to tell us all about your fun new JIRA workflow or something like that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I thought we'd just skip the Jira topic, because I think once we start there, we'll never end.
2: Yeah, that that episode
1: will probably never see the light of day. I I don't think so. I think we'll have to censor it out in a full beep. (laughs) It's going (laughs) to be... Oh, man. Uh, Now I lost lost track of my topics. Damn. What did I want to talk about again? Code reviews? Yeah, yeah, but we wanted to do something before that. We
2: will be talking about code reviews, but you were mentioning... uh, terraform github automation something something oh, something oh yeah so so i think i think i need a bit more context
1: yeah okay so you know these, these you've got these nice little enterprisey companies which you may or may not work for and they think it's an awesome idea to do automation and which then you it, it have is. options to like <laughs> buy. yeah it's amazing and then you have options to like you already have azure in place or you have something like google cloud or whatever authentication sign-on layer you're using within your enterprise organization. And then they decide like, yeah, we could spend, of course, 5K a month on GitHub Enterprise and actually get proper integration, or we could build our own integration. Yay. And of course, instead of just saying, okay, we've got a file for one file per repo, you just basically make it these days nice GraphQL call and it's like, yeah, you have got one GraphQL call per whatever YAML configuration file which you wanna use, if you ever wanna use YAML. Which, oddly enough, a lot of people do. I don't um, think anyone wants but, to use it, but <laughs> you kind of have to these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, let's not talk about YAML parsing because that's another whole new oh, topic. Boy. We're racking about up this, this week. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, it's horrible. Uh, so, yeah, then they actually decide, like, okay, we're going to do this automation, and, yeah, instead of doing simple GraphQL calls and having some basic config files, like, write five bash scripts with JQL or... Uh, Something around those orders. No, they actually are gonna use Terraform because Terraform is the new thing Which they use everywhere to do with the automation of their platform Yeah, and then things start to fall on your face because Terraform is based on state files and GitHub has local admins Imagine the amazing effect of my last three weeks because somebody tossed a project like that on my face. <laughs> It's, I don't there's, a, there's a few
2: things to pass here though as well, which is one, clearly the time spent on this has been more than five grand a month at this point. Like, yes, definitely get enterprise. If, 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 for anyone who's, who's considering build or buy, if it's not your core competency, do not build it, buy it, go focus on your core competency that makes your business great. And stop focusing on automating GitHub because that is. Unless that's the product you're selling, that doesn't help Especially you. Especially
0: when it's Terraform you're trying to automate it with. is just and not meant, meant the to be used thing, with GitHub.
2: Right tool for the job, right? Which we yeah. we don't really have here. And I don't know how this, uh, our very first episode we were talking about who gets to decide what uh, what particular tool or bit of software or whatever is, is used for whatever job so we were we were bringing up the um i think we we're talking about kafka versus rabbit mq uh as an example in that first episode but i um how does something like hey we're gonna automate this in such a bad way using a tool that's not designed for the for this job as much as i love terraform it's not for that
1: Like, like don't get me wrong. I love Terraform as a tool, and it has a lot of awesome usages, and it can actually do a lot of nice things, definitely when you have a provider, which is actually well-written. And, like, honestly, the GitHub Terraform provider just isn't great. Like, I've tried to upgrade it and update it from, like, multiple minor versions to other minor versions and patch versions, and they keep breaking things like Fallout, where like I've literally had it wipe half of my half of our organization once. So, oops. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, that can will, tell. will teach we, you
1: to apply force.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I think my teammate was playing with the thing, and he had the very similar experience. I think like one hour into the thing, and he almost removed every admin from GitHub work.
1: Yeah, but it's it's actually the thing is that I think. One of the issues is is often when you see a company grow is actually that, like in this case, there are some audits or some processes being done within the company where the tech people are actually not involved with. Like these audits are done and they're done by mostly the the senior or the CTOs. And yeah, you just don't hear about them. Maybe because they're not important, maybe because they're too important, because they are so bad at it that you get such a bad rating that they just don't want to share it with you um but then they suddenly start thinking like okay we need to build something we like and these people who used to be programmers and used to be developers back in the day when i was young so like 1980s um (laughs) (laughs) then then you actually get this kind of concept they are like okay we've got this new tool oh it has this provider let's just use it and instead of following processes which you have of course within the company because developers and squad leads and Whatever you call them, uh, team leads, tech leads, whatever, they have to actually go through processes. But since this is upper management, they're kind of like, yeah, we just put this life and toss it over the wall into somebody's face who we know and who's probably not going to say, screw you. So
2: they give it to you. who actually sees have, the value of this. Have you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've given them a lot of shit about it already. Like, uh, don't get me wrong there. Like, um like it's, I'm not the person who's going to say, but it's actually interesting though. Once you start looking at the solution that they brought, uh, definitely in our case, if you look at the JetApp solution which came up, it's actually very interesting to see the different problems which were involved. So because the JetApp automation, which we, which I at least got tossed over the fence uh, into my lab, was we had user automation, we had team automation, or actually partial team automation, and we had repository automation. But the funny part was the repository automation was actually doing integrations with vault with um code scene uh with uh, i think it was white source as well Um, it did some some templating support it did JIT approval configuration like a whole bunch of things where you're like okay this all the kind of of housekeeping tasks that you want to have there when you create a new
2: repository which is fair enough
1: but sounds like something that would would just be
2: solved by having a template repository to
1: be honest Part of it would be template repository and I think another big part of it is actually like when you create a repository why do you need to have it fully configured because that should be done like if you at least go for this concept of teams are autonomous and projects are led by the teams and yadda yadda then either you need to have a layer which you configure in any ways uh, totally separated when you create a repo which might be your auditing layer Which assumes, like, okay, you need to have, you must have uh, Bronze Master protection. You must have uh, your PR approval processes set up in either way of 105 or something, uh, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't belong to the actual automation of GitHub. In GitHub, you just want to say, okay, create this damn repo. And the configuration is up to the project, which this repo belongs to, and not to the actual repo.
2: It's always amazing to me how. Um, every time I see a solution that's been made, how often it is not generic as well, so, and how difficult it is to make a solution that, that I know I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it is just impossible to make something even vaguely generic. Um, we have uh, so at my at my work we have a similar thing where we have uh, a template repo, and uh, we use GitLab, and the way GitLab works, um, it will actually. Copy over much more than just a repository. When you say, "Hey, like create a new repository from this template," it will copy over things like uh, pre-configured environment variables and CI pipelines and things like that, which is actually quite nice. Um, the problem is trying to make that anything approaching generic just just doesn't work. Like we've got stuff in there um, to set up a CI pipeline when you when you want to create a new service or whatever. We've got stuff in there that will uh, deploy it to. Uh, So helm charts and we'll deploy it to communities and easy peasy takes like five minutes of just changing some variables and and you're away. But it assumes that you're writing a web service and uh, in the case of the template that we've got, it assumes it's PHP because most of our stuff is PHP. Um, The last three or four things that I've created have not been PHP and or not been web. So I haven't been able to use the template. Um, yeah, it's just impossible to make something super generic like that. And, uh, you're talking about, um, I love the, uh, code scene, code as a crime scene thing as well, but trying to have a pre-configured thing of that that's going to work for every little project. No,
1: no, but I think it's, it's one of those cases where you also go in like, okay, at what, like, I think the, my, my point here is like, at what point do you have a system which you create automation for and at what point is it instead of like this setup configuration which it really is for me like part of this this repo like one part is GitHub and users like no offense just offboarded to Azure or to whatever tool you have and be done like at that point forget about it um, and if you look at like the repositories themselves I think you have multiple stages you have like the creation stage in which I'm I would honestly argue like <clears throat> there doesn't need to be any protection on there there doesn't need to be anything configured for that. It's just you start up the application, and at that point, whatever configuration you decide to use, and hopefully before you start actually creating a repo, you have an RFC, you have people who've reviewed your design, what you want to go for, even if it's a POC, actually. If you do a proof of concept, um, you at least need to have a small page for it. Like It can be a one-page document, which you might put into some other repo which things are when it merges it, compiles it and then creates the bloody GitHub repo or you might actually have a proper system to keep track of all these POCs because like I think I've seen like five different places within the current organization I've been in where they've tried to work out how Kafka works so talking about Kafka again Um, but I think it's like one of those places where it's like it would be so nice if we could store some of that knowledge which we've gathered like we've done POCs out of the the whole half of them went live, of course, as any good company does. Um, I'm trying to think of a clever acronym for proof that goes to proof of
2: concept now, and I haven't got one, but I'm sure I'm sure there's one out there.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> it's the-
2: um, yeah. I I think I mean that's a whole nother problem is is uh, stuff going to production that isn't ready. But I, you know, what you're touching on there is okay. There is stuff that should be in place before something goes live, but that doesn't necessarily mean that before a repo is created, you need to have that stuff there. It just needs to be easy to put in there so that you can gatekeep what go, what makes its way to production.
1: Yes, I think that's, but again, you're making an assumption that a GitHub repo would go to production. Like, I think in a lot of cases, that's not the case. In a lot of cases, uh, for me, a GitHub repo should be part of the project and a project might contain multiple repos. It might actually contain repos which you archive afterwards because they're just POCs for that project. But I think instead of starting with a repo and saying, okay, this repo needs to be configured with branch protection and this kind of stuff and this kind of stuff. No, because you don't know what the repo is going to be used for. So why don't we start with actually the concept of, okay, we create a repo, fine. We give it the basic information, whatever is possible. And at that point, we have a gatekeeping piece of software, which just says, okay, provide me the information of what type of projects is going to go in here. If you say it's a POC project, then at that point you get a setup which says, um, we have our pool approval or we don't need code reviews, for example, although I would argue that's a very bad idea, or we don't need branch projection or we don't need to set up code C, or white source. Uh like white source is one of those security dependency checking calls. or we don't need code cough setup, or whatever. So it is one of those places where you, you can actually think about, like, okay, based on the type of project I have, I need a setup of rules. Instead of starting with no, we set up a, a repository with a set of rules already attached. So just stop with those that kind of setup? Like just assume that anything which is not configured to be Uh, to be in a certain way which is missing certain files for example for a CI it just doesn't have a CI period
0: yeah this sounds like you're putting your developers in the box way before they even started being creative and everything I mean it's obviously hard to say that all branch protection will impact someone's creativity but things like Code coverage being put there too early—it's just
2: well branch protection in particular as well. If you are like trying to throw something together and it's not in live yet, yeah, you'll push to master. When it goes live, you might want to move to some kind of more GitHub flow pull request type of work. For, you know whatever you you're used to when you're trying to protect what's in production. But for yeah, that rapid development phase, you kind of do just want to throw everything on master.
0: Compliance was mentioned, so for things like branch protection, at some point. When it um, when you need to be compliant and you need to follow some kind of software development process that you've established, it's just easier to start putting the things on by default. Just learn how to live with it. Because then what happens, an auditor comes in and samples PRs and if any one PR uh, was just merged to master, there will be questions and you'll have to provide answers. It's just easier to follow the protocol but again for these things yes for other things like you have more flexibility like aforementioned code cough what if i don't know what if this particular team is trying to use a different tool for that or whatever like why would you put them in a box
2: well that that then goes exactly back to our first uh first episode though which is why should one team be using a different tool to everybody else like what, you know, I mean, yes, the, you know, there's different circumstances and everything like that. There might be a case for it in certain cases, but um, the majority of the time you kind of do. The, there, there is a level of box that you do want to put around people so that there is some level of uniformity across projects.
0: Let me, let I, me say I something. Let I, me I we... have something to say before we digress too much. So it started okay. with ter- using Terraform to automate this. I'm with Werner on the the thing he mentioned that automating users is one thing, and automating repos is completely different kind of problem. And I agree that automating repos it is important and helps a lot, especially with things like compliance and stuff. Terraform is just not the tool. No, it's, I agree that it's. I'm, it's I'm a pretty huge... much inconvenient not not pretty much it is inconvenient yeah. no, i'm a inconvenient huge i'm a huge
2: <laughs> proponent of having the right tool for the job and and um i'm not against you know finding if if something that you have isn't the right tool for whatever job then yeah by all mean's go and find a tool but it is exactly the rabbitmq versus kafka discussion that we had where if you already have rabbit for you know as essentially your async messaging bus then why add you better have a damn good reason for needing to add another one on there other than just oh this is the shiny one and i saw her on hacker news um okay but
1: let, let me let me spin off slightly put, put a, light, a slight little twist in here because yes i think part of the discussion is always going to be like which team uses which tools which i think uh sane defaults is what you need to provide mm-hmm. you need to have, provide very clear guidelines on if you want to diverge from these tools you're allowed to, but it means it needs to be audited by the people responsible to set certain rules in. So if you want to remove branch protection on a project, which is going to production or is in production, so an MVP type of project or an actual production project, then you actually need to talk with legal and actually get them to sign off because they're responsible with the auditors and everything else. Um, If you look at code coverage and you have the rule that your CTO thought that uh, you must have 99.9% code coverage, um, please do now quit that company. <laughs> um, but assuming that somebody put that rule in, um, at that point in time, you can literally just say, okay, fine, you want to have that rule perfectly, but let me try a different rule. And at that point, it's a discussion with that manager, which he needs to approve it. And I think that's perfectly fine to have a stage in which you actually discuss which tools you want to use, but uh, you do need that openness to actually change those tools. If you look at something like Brown's protection. Now we can actually hopefully slightly go towards the topic, which I'm very interested in and hoping to get some opinions on, which is actually code reviews. I think this is one of the things where, where you see a lot of confusion or conflict at the moment, because we've got these people from extreme programming who are saying, okay, you need to do mob programming. You need to do pair programming. You don't need code reviews. It's all, well, let's not say bullshit, but they kind of do say that. Like they say it in nicer ways and in better ways, but it is one of those places where I'm like, "No, I think code reviews are really, really valuable, and there's multiple ways of giving code reviews, which I've learned. You've got the aggressive way which I was a couple of years ago, where if somebody would make any mistake in their code and I wouldn't or I would not even like their style, I would go off and be well an asshole or at least a bastard, um but not very friendly um so if you look at that kind of kind of concept then Yes, that's a negative kind of spiral which you can have in code reviews. If I start looking at during the last couple of years, how I've grown what I've learned from other people and the feedback that I've gotten from people based on code reviews, I actually see them as a teaching tool. So I see them as a teaching tool two ways. First of all, for me to learn about the project, learn about the code style which people use, Uh, learned how to better read code. So similar to how you can learn how to better, better read and understand English. You can also learn how to better read and understand code. And I think this is what it's very valuable for. And the other way is to give some of the knowledge, which I have from the couple of years that I've done coding is to actually give that back to the people who review, and I think this is one of the confusion pieces because a lot of people I've noticed actually feel attacked when you review their code. And I'm wondering, is this compliance layer, which we put in front of there, which put legal sometimes puts in front of there, isn't it something actually, which we should have done as developers to actually allow people to criticize and to learn how to explain our thoughts?
2: I think the the compliance layer is um, adding constraints that we have to work within, which is ultimately it sounds like a bad thing being constrained, but actually I think it, it. to some degree, it's a good thing uh, because, you know, so for example, I've done some freelance websites when I was younger and gone, okay, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to make you a website and I need to know what content there is going to be on the page. I need to know what um the kind of colors you like, design you like. Do you do you already have a brand like physical brand assets that I can work with, or something like that? And that gives me constraints with which to come up with something. If you're just presented with a white canvas, that then it becomes very difficult to to come up with something. You need to you need to start from something. So having constraints in place can be a really good thing. And if those constraints come from some kind of legal process that you have to go through, or compliance, or just covering your ass process that you have to go through, then you know, fine, great, it's, it, it's, it's a starting point, you, you can work from there the interesting, to, to come back a little bit to code review specifically though, the interesting thing um, about that, and I think the argument not that I'm necessarily making this argument, but I think the argument um, when pairing I've, ne- I've not had amazing experiences with mobbing in the past to be honest, but when pairing um, I think the argument is that because there's a second pair of eyes on it, the review becomes less necessary. I've certainly paired with more junior engineers, and they've got a lot out of it in terms of you know I you know saying oh yeah like hey you you know you've just written this massive old switch statement here and maybe we can you know walk through together how we would not write a massive old switch statement so that we can have something a bit nicer for example and that's something you that can come in code review but but with pairing it becomes a much more interactive process and from like a management slash mentoring slash leadership more than management I guess um, perspective I think that, that can be really good from like a morale point of view as you're teaching trying to help junior developers come
1: along a bit From. So let me, let me interrupt Yeah, go please. Like interpose a bit because like, actually I think for me, I see pairing as well as a very valuable tool in in your tool set. And I think it's something which is definitely when you're looking at senior junior is oftenly not used, but it should should be used. And uh, even within different senior levels, I think it should be way more often. I think I've had some very bad experiences, Having two juniors pair together um that gave some very interesting code um but I think pairing is is not something I'm against. I do think that even if you're pairing adding a code review phase into into that pairing or actually putting a third developer in that case or in well it could I actually see it as as a second pair of eyes still because I don't think once you're pairing you are one set of eyes. Although that set of eyes is, of course, communicating and, and making decisions, it doesn't mean that the decisions you're making and the, uh, um, the, the your thoughts, your constraints, or
2: the kind ah. of thought process becomes unified to a degree between the two people. That there's less exactly. of a conflict going on. Yeah, no, I'm I'm completely with you on that. I think when you um, when you go and review someone's code that they've pre-written, you're coming at it a little bit afresh and you can see um, you know you you can critique it from a different angle than if you were there when it was being written and get kind of blinded by the thought process that went into it. At the same time um, you know you're talking about oh pe- some people feel attacked by that. Well it there's it's definitely this, this becomes a larger conversation than about Asynchronous versus synchronous communication to a degree. Right? Because it's definitely much easier to kind of help someone and, and make them feel like you're like you're being nice, you're trying to help them find the best code. You know, we're all on the same team and we're gonna find the best the best solution for this problem together when you're sat next to them and spending the time to help them out. Whereas when they are just suddenly hit with a GitHub review with like 34 different comments in it going. Hey, this brace is in the wrong place. Then, <laughs> which is not what code review is for, but it is what it ends
1: up being. But I think you've you've already given a very good point, which I think is something which is something that you shouldn't be able you shouldn't see in a code review unless you have a language which is indentation specific or something. Uh, but. This, come, this entire discussion about, okay, should my bracket, bracket be here or bracket be there? Or uh, do you need a space after your uh, semicolon or not? Or all that kind of stuff. Like, I think that is... If you're looking at a code review, that should not be in there. Like, hopefully you have tools which will just format your code for you. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. But if that's not the case, then it is something for me which if you put that into into a code review, you're often missing a point.
2: Well, I mean, I I... Agree with you on principle. In practice, I've definitely seen some stuff sneak into a pull request where it's just like, okay, this indentation is absolutely bananas. Like, please just go sort this out because I cannot continue reviewing this. It's actually making my uh, eyes bleed. But or, you again, know, it, Even it when, even when like, it's an automated tool. Sometimes automated tools make a mistake and they, they really do something like messed but, but up. But then
0: you can automate the second sort of part of uh, the thing which is actually... Checking your code before it goes to uh, to be reviewed by human, like no, I another mean, automated tool that. Will... I,
2: I know Warner in particular. You you're gonna have experience with um, uh, crap. What's it called? PHPCS and all of that stuff. Like fi- like fixing in oh, yes. scare quotes your file and and then going yeah it passes all the all the checks. What are you on about? And you just take one look at it and go okay like th- this is actually tab
1: format. What what's, what's gone on? <laughs> Again, again, I do have to say though that at that point uh, you just create a PR with PHP CS feature and actually get them to bloody hell fix the rule. So uh, we've I've actually done that for a similar sure. But issue. It, does, it
2: does block you um, from reviewing the PR until that's sorted out. So there there is a
1: case for why? Like no offense, but why? I think this is one of those things where which, which I really don't get. Like when you're reviewing code, you know that language hopefully it your review.
2: I've definitely reviewed like, code why? where I don't, but okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> me too, sir. Me too. But let's assume that we at least know some basic understanding of the code and we know kind of how it works. Like similar to how you can read English written by uh by different people across the world, even though their grammar may not be perfect, the the way they've done it might not be perfect. You actually do learn how to read that kind of English. And I think the same goes for code. You need to As a code reviewer, yes, you can give a remark on it, but do it after the important things. Like you start with the primary... thing. think prioritization is is, absolutely crucial, for sure. Um, And and I'm, I'm I'm actually wondering, like when I look at how I review code, like I go over a pull request on average, I would say about four times. And this is on, let's say, a pull request which has 20 lines of changes. And that's because, like, and this is often actually. Because the first time I go over it, I just skim over it and looking for, like, where are the glaring mistakes? For example, type errors, uh, some things which just don't work. Then I go over it again after they fix those, and I'm like, okay, where do we have possible logic, lo- logic errors? Like things where I know, I, n- I actually often ask questions in this phase where I'm actually trying to get knowledge. Which is like, okay, what's your business process? What are you actually trying to do here? Why are you trying to Mm -hmm. do it? And because... Which is is one one of the most...
2: That's probably where most of your time is spent, I reckon.
1: Yes. Although I would prefer to have proper tickets where people would just show me a Jira ticket or a GitHub issue or something where it would just describe what the hell the problem is and how they are planning on fixing it.
2: Well, you can definitely tune in for that episode in
1: future, I think. Oh, yes, we can, we can definitely do an episode about that. Um, but I, th- I think that is one of those cases where it's like, okay, you d- often don't get that information or not enough context. So you ask for the context, you ask for the business, like, can you try to spot errors? And then often you get one of those phases, which just Kieran went on about, which is, okay, we are just going to nag about code styles. Because that's what... Would, I,
2: I, feel like, like, I mean, the compiler have, has no
1: issues with it. The parser doesn't have some. Eh.
2: I feel like you might have missed a, a thing in the middle there. I did. What, okay. What is the thing that you nah, think you, you missed? Go, no, you go for <laughs> it, mate. <laughs> okay. Uh, error handling is the big thing that I look for. Proper, like, depending on what language you're using, either passing around error values properly or exception handling in a sensible manner. And that doesn't just mean, like like you f***ing salt base and try catch all over the place and hope for the best, like (laughs) it means having a proper like error handling strategy.
1: Uh, This reminds me of the good old days when um, we actually have, I actually build uh, a REST server in uh, the company I work for. And one of the things which it does is if you request a URL, it returns a 404 when there's no information. In this case, it's about a specific day in day in the year and that might be a holiday and you basically go and query it and it's like okay is this day the holiday and it says 404 because it's not because the only thing that thing knows is about configured holidays yeah
2: so does it does this day exist in the
1: holidays database yeah yeah and it's like no it doesn't and then for some reason a couple of weeks back somebody decided to turn on a certain switch in istio and Suddenly, that service was having criticals the entire day through.
2: <laughs> oh, because of the health check is now going, hey, like this
1: doesn't work, let's turn it off. Yeah, it's like, oh, a 404, that's an error.
2: Yeah. No? Yep. I've definitely been having issues with that. With uh, Actually, this week, with the Kubernetes health check being a little bit overzealous sometimes.
0: Why would, would 404 would ever be considered an error?
2: 4XX is considered an error unless you unless you explicitly
1: say otherwise. Actually, the the, it, the 4XX is a client error. It means that the client no, messed No, I up. know. Yeah,
2: but it is considered so, an
1: error by the
2: uh, um, pod health check, I believe, unless you explicitly say otherwise. I think 403 might be an exception to that, though. Don't quote me on that.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's one of those cases where I'm like, if you use proper resting, you're asking for a resource? Like, yeah. It shouldn't be, like, 404 is not an error.
0: It's not an error. Like, it really isn't. It, it is confusing sometimes, though, like, to me, again, as a sysadmin, admin, sometimes mm. when I see a 404, I'd like to know whether something went bad or whatever I requested just, just isn't there, or there is an underlying issue that is not, like, allowing me to get this. So it is kind of confusing to me every time I see a 404. When if, it comes, I to mean, rest. if
2: you request your status page and you get a 404, then you might have an issue.
0: Yeah, this is bad. But right? then, so. <laughs> like, especially with languages like let's say PHP, there are times when you do a request and you get a 404 just because your whatever running web server wasn't able to find the actual PHP file, and it gives you a 404. So then you don't know whether it's the actual REST thing work. And the object isn't there, that's why it's a four oh four, or the whole thing is broken and returns four oh four. So
1: Yeah, but that's why you ha that's why you have things like state health checks and status checks. It's it's to ensure mm. that that's not the case. That's, I think, I've had, befo- the, I the think case I've had it is before I think I've where a volume hasn't mounted yet,
2: because it was still in the process of booting up and because that volume hadn't mounted you got a 404 requesting a specific file and therefore Kubernetes go, oh, oh, it looks like this isn't up. I'm going to kill it. And then it's trying to come back up again, but the volume still doesn't mount in time. And
1: yeah. Yeah. You can just get around that with the, what is it, the, the readiness or the, the start of time or yeah. something. I think I got around it by actually doing something to make the
2: volume mount fast because that was the problem. But like,
1: yeah. That That is the better solution, but yeah, sometimes you just don't have that option.
0: Yeah, usually, like the, the ideal solution, I would say the thing should never uh, announce its readiness before all these conditions are met. Like, you know, that this should be mounted and some other things should be done. So the process just shouldn't go forward until all of that is done.
1: Well, similar to code reviews, the process should not go forward. So... How do you guys like it when you, you're you reviewing, let's say you were working with GitHub or something which has pull requests or some similar concept and you're actually reviewing that thing and suddenly you see like popping up like five related PRs which are all based on the PR you're just reviewing and you're sitting there and you're like, but this entire concept is wrong. Oh,
2: where, okay, where somebody has already made the decision that, that, that this is going to be split up in this way and the first pr is then the base and then there's a second pr which contains the first pr and then when the first one gets merged then the second one can get merged and then the third one contains the other two and you have like a whole chain of of prs yeah yeah i can think of uh, you know what i can think of a couple of engineers in particular who who like doing this and and it just there's a level of like assumption that everything is okay with the first pr <laughs>
0: I would also <laughs> say it's this attitude towards code reviews that I don't particularly like, which is that it's just a it, rubber it's, stamp. It's ju- ju- just a rubber stamp. Yeah, I like. Uh, let's be frank. I hate this attitude. It's just not what code review is supposed to be.
2: I think um, that I mean there's there's two parts to that because it seems like there's two parts to everything. Is this
0: podcast anyway yeah computers um, are binary right that's why there's always two parts to. Everything.
2: just wait till we're doing quantum github do my quantum yeah. code oh, review no. then you'd have <laughs> superposition uh, of a code review is it a tab or a space it's both until observed
1: <laughs> depends who observes it yeah the code
0: is always live and in the garbage bin before <laughs> you actually get your review right <laughs>
1: So we've merged as It's deployed. We've already t- we've already scrapped it. Uh, I mean, we know
0: that sometimes it is running in the garbage bin. So <laughs>
2: yeah, which is just a Raspberry Pi in the garbage bin. That's your production. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, that's one of those cases where like your things are going wrong but i'm actually interested like is there like any any tips you would give people like when they're they're reviewing code like i think for me the major tip is like look at it as a learning experience and i think for both sides is the important part there as the reviewer you can learn and as the reviewee you can also learn from what you're being told and i think it's important to to know that this is something where you have to learn from and you have to In, in multiple levels, this is not just learning on a code level. This is also learning on a social level and learning how to write down things. So actually learning how to properly write text, how to properly express your ideas and to convince people that what the decisions that you've made is correct. But what other things would you, would you give away to people when they're trying to review code?
2: Before going into that, um, I want to touch on interview process, which is related, I promise. Uh, because
0: Kieran just keeps stealing my questions. I'm sorry. I've I have a list of topics I wanted <laughs> to touch on, and it's like the fifth one that Kieran just like. I feel <laughs> right, like I'm you're sorry, just no, reading reading no. from my screen. No, but you're go hacked,
2: ahead. man. You're hacked.
1: Yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> you should have installed a firewall. <laughs> you're. Uh, yeah, I'll so, just I mean-
0: turn turn my screen off. Hold on. Hold on. Done. <laughs>
2: There you go, I can't read it now. You shouldn't be sat with your back to a mirror, that's all I'm saying. No. (laughs) Um, So one of the most common bits of feedback that um, I've had in the past with interviews is that the learning experience coming out of a code review section, segment of the the kind of recruitment process has just, you know, I've had so much gratitude poured out of that saying, hey, like, I learned way more out of this one code review than I have in two years of my current job. Like, regardless of whether or not the candidate has, has, like, actually got the job or proceeded on to whatever next phase, they've just said, hey, like, thanks for the code review. That was really good. And I mean, that feels good and everything. And obviously, like, there might be a different level of effort or certainly a different level of politeness maybe that goes into code reviewing somebody where that's their first impression of the company because they're applying to work there. Um,
0: yeah, I think as a reviewer you're also... Oh, maybe, Oh, I mean, obviously people are different, but I think when you're reviewing an interview... Uh, you're in a different code, mindset. You're in yeah. a different mindset, definitely.
2: Um, which is exactly where I want to go with it because I feel like uh, in order to make it the best learning process possible for both you and the person you're reviewing. Uh, You should try and retain that mindset and try and remember that, uh, or try and pretend that the person you're code reviewing isn't someone that you know or you have any context of and that this is their first impression. Um, And just kind of assume that you know that they're not deliberately trying to cut a corner or something and assume that that there's something that you can uh help them learn there um and it's less uh, you know maybe maybe you're learning as well from their approach maybe they're using a pattern or something that you've not seen before um and that's great if you can learn from it but also trying to kind of help them to to come closer to your style of coding without forcing it on them rather than uh just kind of saying, hey, like, this is wrong, I don't like this.
1: Yeah, I think if you say, hey, this is wrong, I don't like this, you kind of automatically get get everybody's shields up and you've basically lost any potential gain you could get from a code review. I mean, language
2: is super important and culture comes into that in a big way as well. Um, I remember, uh, I'm sure if Italo was on this call, he he would also remember um, how he used to when we when we were working together when we were in the same uh, squad or before we before they were called squads when they were called whatever the hell they were called that oh, week we were
1: just called scm
2: yeah we were called i don't know we were called something different every week anyway <laughs> and whatever whatever we were called then um he uh did at one point have an an issue i don't remember if it was somebody had I think somebody must have given him the feedback that he was like too blunt on code reviews or something like that. And he didn't mean to be, but it was just kind of the way that he came across and he was I, I remember like saying going over a code review that he had done and trying to be like trying to say okay like here is how you could have worded it differently. Um which doesn't come naturally to everyone as well. So that that's also quite difficult to to word things in such a way. Without sounding like you're just kind of waving around the point, but at the end of the day, when it comes to asynchronous communication, when the person there cannot read your facial expressions or hear the tone of your voice, you have to be as explicit as possible in saying like, hey, I'm not I'm not jumping down your throat here. I, I actually just want this to be as good as it can be.
1: Yeah, and I think this is really important as well. Like, uh, also, it depends on kind of what kind of image you want to have. I think this is also something where you can actually play around, mess around with people's brains a lot. Definitely in the remote culture we're in since COVID, even more than before. Yeah. At least for some people, COVID was the way to go remote. So, um, <laughs> looking at that, at that I think one of the things which I have done in the past and actually sometimes actually do on purpose is definitely towards like the, Let's say, like supposedly, I'm a staff engineer or whatever that may mean. I still haven't figured that one out quite, quite as well. Same as I never That's figured okay. out
2: it'll be it'll be a different job title next week. It's yeah,
1: fine. same as I never figured out what a backend job delete was. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but looking at that kind of it's it's actually sometimes a tactic to be, be go down somebody's throat. Definitely, if you know that a person is doing it to others, and he always has this cocky attitude, and you hear that from others through different feedback channels then sometimes the best way to put somebody in his place is literally do the same to him. And after that, and this is really important, I think, to add to this. After that, actually talk with the guy. Give him a call. Give him a Slack message. At least, like, don't burn a bridge. You But you do put him in his place So every now and then. Because this is one thing where you also have to feel... Uh, sometimes you have to make somebody feel to make him understand what a code review can do to you. Like, I've had code reviews which... Like, I actually submitted a... document uh, for review a couple of days back and like i got some harsh feedback on there where i'm also from that level of seniority i would not have expected that um but again um the feedback wasn't bad in itself but it was actually good but just the phrasing of it the the phrasing was terrible like it was totally terrible and it's not like the points weren't valid it's not anything like that but i actively actively had to keep putting him to my mind It's not nothing personal. It's just that this guy doesn't know how to write. It's nothing personal. It's just this guy doesn't (laughs) know how to write English in a nice way. And it makes sense because if you look where the guy is from, uh, from his cultural background and from the experience he's had within different cultures and different companies he's been in, it might have made sense that kind of writing style, but it still hurts. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, that is one of those things where, where we really should not forget the personal touch and, I think the more seniority you get and the more you've done code reviews and also the more you've received them, you will actually have to find out like, okay, at what point am I going too far? And this is an entirely broader
2: conversation on the importance of soft skills as well that so many people neglect. In you know, because I want to be the better developer, and I it, that doesn't mean that I need to learn how to be nice. And well, uh, yeah, if you want to go work on your own installing
1: WordPress, then by all means, come on. If you want, <laughs> to, like, come on. As, as soon as you hit like, as soon as you hit like the the meteor senior level kind of kind of stage in a company, after that, like no offense, it's like very little is down to your coding skill, unless if you go into like an individual contributor track where you really go tech specialist. And even there, I would argue, the only way to become a proper tech specialist is by teaching. And it is I by encouraging even... soft skills.
2: Well, and also, yeah, I mean... Right, let's give Maxima the...
1: time to t- chat, man. Come on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I was just going to say that I would go in further and say as soon as you start working in any team, even if it's just you and your buddy, just a team of two people, you should already start. Yeah, if you want to keep your body Think, Thinking about this kind of skills and improving them and communication is key as we know and a lot of us realize this when it's kind of too late when you're already like angry at everyone and people are pissed off and that's not not the right time to realize that communication is important And
1: at that point in time you're also hungry
0: yeah and on (laughs) that as well i would also suggest that when you're not reviewing code for someone who's going through the interview process, actually even when it's uh, that kind of review, if possible, at least that's what I do every now and then, if I don't really get it or I think it is stupid, I think again and I assume that maybe it's actually me being an idiot here and I would give the person a call. Invite them to Zoom chat, I don't know, sit together on the couch, anything. Like, code review does not necessarily have to be an asynchronous process. If you're having a hard time understanding what the hell is going on, go have a conversation before. Like, maybe you can resolve whatever misunderstanding that is there. Or maybe you are actually not the competent person to do this review and you need to have this conversation to figure that out or whatever else might be there uh one way or the other i would say have a chat
1: i, I i'm 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 very like definitely since the last couple of months I'm, I'm very hesitant on agreeing there i like don't get me wrong six months ago i would have agreed with you in one go no problems uh although after working working in this remote area and after seeing the lack of writing skills that people have including myself and i, I would honestly say that the more i'm i'm looking at it and the bigger actually your co- the company is you're working in uh i th- i am s- honestly starting to believe in this concept of you need to write down everything and where if you cannot explain it in 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 text uh it's, it's going to be very hard to sell later on as well. Like, and this is mostly coming from also places where I've, I've tried to find bugs. Like I'm opening GitHub, I'm looking at the Jet history, and I find a PR which has comments in there like, yeah, discuss this offline. And at that point, I look at yeah. the people who actually created the PR and who approved the PR, and I'm like, okay, none of these people have been in the company for the last three okay. years.
2: And even if they had, would they remember?
0: Very important, very important correction, obviously the result of your conversation should be recorded. Preferably in the same PR. Or if you agree that some changes are needed, next commit message should actually reflect the conversation.
2: A lot of the time that discussed this offline thing, this is a generalization, but it's just kind of going from experience. A lot of the time it's because someone requests changes and then the person who wrote the original pull request had the conversation offline and then said, hey, we don't have time to do this because something, 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 stakeholders. Discuss this offline, ship it. Which is... Yeah. Yeah, there needs to be some... At that point, there needs to be some level of commitment beyond like a vague promise and a handshake that, hey, like, okay, maybe we do need to ship this now and we don't have time to make whatever fixes. Yeah, but come on. Because they they must be pretty minor, they must be be pretty major issues if you don't have time to fix them now. Like, if it's a minor thing, then you've got time to to fix it now. If it's a major thing that requires, like, a rethink of a particular, I don't know, the way a particular module service or something is written, then... Understandably, maybe you don't have time to do it now, but there needs to be some level of commitment in terms of like a ticket or planning for the future or something like that. That you'll like this, is, this change will happen. I, I um, think we commit I, I, to making it.
1: I, I do think I agree with that part. Definitely, regarding you need to have a follow up on it. And this also, again, needs to be in that pull request or whatever you use for this kind of yeah. logs. There needs and to be a chain of yeah. like paper trail. And that, for that, that, yeah. that needs to be very clear. I, I do think actually, now that you're, you've actually entered a new part of uh, my favorite part about code reviews which is commit messages so my favorite one I think I still have in there is from Italo which is please f***ing piece of crap work now (laughs) Um, I think this was in in, in one of our API gateways if I'm correct Uh, but it might have also been in in some kind of logging system or monitoring system. I have some great ones from Italo somewhere I I (laughs) I have some great ones that I've written myself
0: that I'm not proud of they are so great that yeah they are disgusting but go ahead
2: i i have a folder just full of screenshots of hilarious commit messages and and i think a lot of them are are, are Italos. um you know because he swears a lot in his commit messages Italo tried but... <laughs> saving you but these guys doing stuff so. <laughs> but uh one of the, that's also one of those things where um basic to intermediate to advanced uh git skills are super crucial like being able to to rebase and tidy up that git history or at the very least like amend previous commits is just becomes super crucial and i do find that a lot of the time people either can't won't or don't do that for whatever reason
0: hey, again that that's where i see I, I that totally... the conversation is uh, or becomes very valuable if you I, I know it's super hard to spot this like especially when you just Gave someone some comments. It's hard to figure out whether they don't know how to rebase or they're just an asshole and they don't want to do that. That's
1: so. I, I think my favorite comment there is: "This was just Q 8
0: That's that's just great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what that mean? <laughs> no, no, no. This just means that we have a manual QA in the company, which is another. Uh, uh, no, what I mean I, I, I know I know what that means, yeah. but what that means in the context of code
2: review? That just means that the now that, QA this, that at just it means and said that it works, works, that's got nothing to do with the way that the with the way that the code is written. That just means no, that, I guess
0: this is just an alpha version yeah. Yeah. of the next thing, which is like it's already live. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it is. Before. Like it is one of those. those... Yeah, like which oh, yeah. again goes yeah. back to
0: like the whole team agreeing.
2: Well, having some kind of an RFC process is crucial and I do not know many teams or companies who actually do, who actually do this full stop, let alone consistently and are accountable to
1: it. I think the accountability is definitely something which I'm, I've, I've not seen. Um, but going back to like even... I think there's ways as if you're being reviewed, you can actually force a PR3. The, the easy one is uh, merge with admin rights that's the easy one um the other one is things like uh the QA already tested this uh I'm not gonna rebase this uh, because I don't have have time uh, my pm tel- tells me it needs to be live today um all of which I think are actually arguments which means you f*** up as the person famous okay let me let me not let me rephrase uh, it's not it, so this is one of those cases where if you, as a reviewee, you've actually made it impossible for somebody to give you a proper code review because you've put roadblocks in their way, which make it harder. If you look at the argument from a PM or a PO or a TPM or whatever product person you look at, and they're, what,
2: whatever they're called
1: this week, yeah, whatever they're exactly whatever they're called this week. But even if you look at that argument, and they're saying it needs to be live today, then either it should have been in your critical channel or whatever kind of critical process you have. I see what you did there. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So either it needs to be in your critical channel or it needs to have some kind of other process going through it because code review for things which your PM wants to have live today, of course, it can be related to a marketing campaign and all those kind of things, but then it still needs to be there. Then you, you as a developer or you as a TPM or PO really messed up. And But a, to be yeah, given... any kind
2: of marketing campaign yeah. where, you know, for example, the email is going out at X time and it, it, it has to be live before the email goes out or like they've had, actually had printed flyers shipped or something. Someone's like really screwed up when you've got no lead time on that because getting the email or the flyers or whatever, like designed and... Like written and proofread and all of that, like that. How it, how is that all last minute work? Honestly, like the entire design of a marketing campaign, and then suddenly, oh yeah, shit! This microservice that we were supposed to build for it is like the last minute yeah, after and thought, then suddenly you're on, an asshole real.
0: because you're not actually you're the last one who yeah. need to actually check on it, and you're 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 and then, yeah, and
2: then it somehow it's life. on like this one poor engineer who was never given the 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 space they needed to be able to do yeah, the, the this job is... properly yeah nor the
1: reviewer yeah this this thing
0: not that it's yeah an off topic is just another big topic on like i i, I don't even know if it's one topic, it's topic like 10 that we'll discuss topics. on
2: the critical channel after <laughs> after all the other big topics that we've got right yeah no
1: no no <laughs> so, so 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 so. Actually, let me get back to these commit messages because I still want to. I, I still hope Kieran already found his folder with awesome messages because I would love to hear some. And I will honestly give I, some. Okay, live Okay, I'm gonna on go over there and find a them. USB stick with them on. Oh, okay. On the we'll USB have to wait for Kieran to find the USB stick. So, uh, in the meantime, the um, USB stick. Maxime, do you have any good good PR reviews which you can talk about? PR
0: reviews. <laughs> oh, I I have a lot of like. Oh, this is already live. Or the infamous, oh, I need a plus one for this. Not that I have a lot to say. It's just the, the level of disgust and annoyance I have for this is unmeasurable. Like, uh, no, I mean, seriously, if we're having this kind of thing, if we even have to talk about this, then we have a much bigger problem. And it's not kind of not even that much related to code reviews it's not even a code review kind of issue from this point it's just in general the process is broken and you have to fix it even before code review starts if like last minute things need to go live without any review then yeah there is no code review problem no one needs a review they need a rubber stamp
1: so so maybe one of the, the one of the things we actually do need to talk about is instead of talking about code reviews is actually also the process involved because maybe actually the the issue is often like i think there's a lot of things we can improve in code reviews like like we already touched upon but i think one of the places is also the process involved like at what stage do you do a code review
0: yeah and also does everyone agree that we need to do code reviews is is everyone okay with that because if someone isn't then it's kind of stupid right if one person on the team doesn't think that code reviews are valuable then we definitely have a problem.
1: Yeah that's definitely true like if you have one one person in the team who thinks code reviews aren't valuable you definitely have a problem I think it's actually quite interesting if you look at, at it from that phase is that even if you if you have a person in the team that doesn't think code reviews are valuable then I must imagine like doesn't he want to learn or doesn't he think he can learn or what? Like I'm, I'm always trying to find out the mindset and the, 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 the things which I've walked into there is often ego, which is uh, well, yeah, one of the bigger issues. Uh, also hard to turn off, um, but also actually lack of knowledge. So actually being scared of things.
0: Yes. Or what if that person is not a developer? What if it's your PM, let's say who goes like, come on, it's not important, just just let's make sure it goes live today, then again, this clearly tells you that this person does not believe in the review process. They, they don't see any value, yes, like putting it's, it's this live healthy. gives the value back, having it reviewed brings nothing, so we need to talk about that then.
1: Yeah, so I, I definitely th- do, do agree with you that definitely the process is one of the things where, like, if nobody, if not, you don't have your entire team on board on doing code reviews, and maybe actually, like, I, I hate this term, because I really, really hate those meetings where they talk about work, uh, what do they call it, work process or work, work agreements. Oh, work agreements, oh, don't, really don't get me term. started. Uh, but but I, I do get where managers come from, because they want to make sure everybody's aligned on the same topic, and... Like yes if do you, like yes code reviews are part of learning and part of teaching and everything like that but do we always have to when you have like uh, it's like what is the four stages of building a team what is it uh I don't know They're sniffing somebody's forming norming storming for forming exactly no the other way around wrong 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 order but yeah that's uh, no. same concept <laughs> But it's, it's really true. Like every single time you put a new person into a team, you actually have to start off like, okay, why are we doing all the things we do inside of a team? And why do we do code reviews? And how should you do the workflow? And why you should not let your PM bully you into giving close ones and all that kind of stuff.
0: Agreed. And yeah, when I said that don't get me started on work agreements, it's not that I don't believe in them. It's just at least in my experience, work agreements were brought in when people had problems that they just didn't know how to solve them and someone came up with this brilliant idea, oh, let's start with the work agreement, when clearly there were bigger issues going on, so the work agreement by itself just wouldn't help much.
2: I I am actually going to disagree with you guys on working agreements. I I think that they do help as long as... What you want to do with the working agreement is get it down, print it off absolutely bloody massive, and stick it up in your work area. And the minute that anybody does something that's against that, you go, yo, you guys agreed that we're going to like, you know, discuss XYZ on the pull request. Why has XYZ been discussed elsewhere and it's not there? Because that was the agreement that was made. If you want to change what you said, then that's fine, but let's be consistent because then we know where to find... XYZ conversation. I thought you were going to say just is.
0: take this whole pile of paper and just smack them across the face with the work agreement.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, but again, you know, you don't want to do that with the, the person who's only just onboarding. You want to, you know... Yeah, do this to all these only. Yeah. To get new on. ones, <laughs> <onboarding>. don't. <laughs> new <laughs> ones don't get it. <laughs> the, new, the new guys can just watch that happen to the old people and wait. And yeah, to that would teach them a lesson. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they could, they could spot a few broken noses around the table and know we've messed up. Yeah. Got it.
2: Uh, no, but I, I found, I found my, uh, my commit message
1: folder. Oh, awesome. So uh, let me, anyway. let me wrap up with actually with this, this working agreements, because I actually do think they're useful. I actually do agree that working agreement in a team, it makes sense. It does also mean that you need to be able to build a team. And I think this is one of the important play, one of the important things. If you notice that within your company you've got people leaving from your teams every five five days, then you're never going to be able to build a team. And whatever work agreement you put in there is going to be outdated after the second person joins, or leaves, uh, because team dynamics change, the way people do things change, and it almost is impossible to keep a work agreement. Well, and
2: that person didn't agree to the work agreement. Exactly. If someone new joins, they they didn't necessarily agree to it, so they, that has to be explicit. Or what if it's
0: too point. long to be done with it in five days?
2: <laughs> <laughs> then you then then just stick to hitting them with the book. I think would make sense.
0: Terrible jokes. <laughs> terrible. just terrible.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, so Kieran hit us with the commit messages.
2: Change script.
1: Okay, fix, so fix something, something. Okay, so let me let me start with change script. So the moment you read change script in somebody's commit message, you're like awesome. So yeah, I did not figure out that a commit would be a change. Really? <laughs> it
2: might not be. It, it everything stayed the same. Git commit allow empty.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is in theory possible, it, but it, come it's on. still a I mean, change. It's a very seen, low level change. Yeah.
2: Oh, True. here's one by a, a certain uh, Maxime. <laughs> oh, God, that's
0: going to be great.
1: <laughs> More fixes. I knew oh, it. Oh, yeah. This is, it. So this is, this is the moment you're uh, either in a critical situation and you're actually trying to keep all the bloody fixes you're doing on life in some kind of place to get reviewed before you apply them. Or it means you're fighting with a CI, is my experience. Because the moment you're fighting with a CI... The f- you, you at some point are literally just gonna start pushing oh fing
0: PC. Yeah, I bet that one was about uh, the CI either CI or Terraform automation.
1: Which is why,
2: you know, rebase is such a powerful tool. Yep. But okay. And this is exactly uh, the
1: case where you need to rebase in. <laughs> 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 yeah, kind of. So you deal with more OP stuff, more, OOP, more OOP, stuff. OOP stuff.
0: That that's always good. The more OP the better.
1: Okay, that sounds like somebody's just adding interfaces for for the sake of it. Just more interfaces, more interfaces. Uh, I have
2: checking out other branch.
1: The usual (laughs) stuff. Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay, no, no, no. This is for people who don't know how to use stash properly. Yep.
2: Yep, I think so. Somehow I have one that says in brackets, no
0: message.
1: Oh, wow. This is the point in time at which you got you stole the boss's credit card and you just. no, no, wiped no, no it from I, I the know technology. what this is. This
0: is probably someone who doesn't use like CLI get tool. That they use some kind of fancy graphical thingy, and it just puts no message there if there is no message.
2: Maybe, although the guy who's done this is a developer who I think very highly of. So,
1: well, then I'm, I'm still thinking somebody stole the credit card details.
2: Maybe, yeah. Or it's, um, it's
1: like I wipe the back door, which I build into the system before I leave.
2: And then uh, just just three quick fire ones here. I've got uh, this is so f- stupid. Add f- in all capitals. Animation. Not bad. Uh,
0: and fix oh, shit. Oh, fix shit. Fix shit is <laughs> okay, like my so... go-to comment, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when it comes to like <laughs> solving critical issues. Like fix shit. Done. <laughs>
1: yeah this is definitely i think this was one of those like most of these sound either again like you're trying to fight with a ci or trying to get something life in like something which is broken currently on on your master branch and actually trying to push it out i still think that even in a critical situation you really should take the time even though it's like 10 seconds more well i really we we already
2: we already have on our list to talk about the actual critical process but If stuff is down, stuff is going to be down for five more seconds while you write a proper commit message. It's not going to, you know, stuff's already down. It's not like you not writing a proper commit message is going to speed it up. Not to defend anyone,
0: but with all honesty, I, I'm pretty sure most of these commit messages were not put there during working on something critical. It's, it's, no I don't think so
1: either I, I, I know at least from the, la- from the last one that I've seen that one it's something which was definitely not critical at all it was somebody fighting with a bash script
2: and uh, finally the coup de grace it's alive, live at dash a get ash dash a one one one
1: <laughs> ah. uh, no comment yeah I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. jazz break end of episode, <laughs> thank you
1: <laughs> so so, so maybe we can actually ask people to send in the, the nicest commit messages they've seen yeah, we'll see if we get any <laughs> yeah, it would still be fun I mean, I'm, I'm, I know which repos to go through
0: no, no, come on, let's just do it
1: so, hey, now that we've heard Kieran actually talk about his different commit messages, which he's doing throughout his career, um, actually, I would love to hear some of yours. So please share any commit log messages, things which you think are the perfect way. And I'll honestly promise that even if we don't get an episode for going over these, I will go over them personally and we'll have some kind of extra episode, which will allow you to hear my comments and hopefully Maxime's, Kieran's and Italo's and if we ever get luckily luckily enough, or other colleague as well, I think I think uh, okay. So uh, if for all your
2: uh, crazy critical message, uh, critical message, Jesus Christ, for all your crazy commit message needs, uh, you can find us at criticalchannel.io uh, or at criticalio on Twitter. Uh, I am Kieran Patel. I'm Kieran AJP on Twitter, and I'm joined by Maxime, who is Zilax the Second. And Warner, who is... What is your tip?
1: Bukoi. B- B- Bukoi. B-O-E-K-K-O-O-I. On Twitter. Yay! Or .net or D, whatever you want. Uh,
2: and uh, if you want to catch us up for future episodes, hopefully Warner, you'll be able to join us in future as well.
1: I hope Fingers so. Crossed, my, 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 it's been my, great my, fun. My small, my, small, my small clone now has a bedtime, which is semi-reliable, so I might actually manage <laughs> and
2: uh, hopefully it will be back in future as well so uh, thank you all for listening and catch you next time